You are listening to the Speak Podcast. The podcast featuring talks from Speak, a public speaking platform for people with ideas and stories. Produced by Launchpad 516 Studios. Welcome to the Speak Podcast, produced by Launchpad 516 Studios. New episodes available every week on all your favorite podcast platforms. Speak is a public speaking platform for people with ideas and stories. Each Speak Talk features three key moments. The moment of truth, the moment of transformation, and the moment of impact. We host pop-up events all over the world, and now we are bringing our talks to your device. Our speakers are stepping onto the stage and into the spotlight, and now onto this podcast. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the Speak Podcast. I'm George Andriopoulos, the architect and one of the co-leaders here at Speak, and I'll be the host for today's episode. Our episode's micro-theme today is home, the second part of a multi-episode series focusing on the concept of home, a theme that so many of our talks touch on. This theme is particularly special to me today as my home and the home of Speak has suffered tragedy recently. On September 21st, our local high school, Farmingdale High School, sent a few buses of students to Pennsylvania for the annual band camp trip. One of those buses was involved in a horrific accident. Dozens of people were injured, five in critical condition, and two lives were lost that day, B. Ferrari and Gina Pelletieri. Our community continues to mourn and is devastated at the moment, but the power of speaking, the power of talking to each other has lifted this community and brought our members shoulder to shoulder to support one another and to uplift our community. Farmingdale is a very special place to me. It's the place that I grew up, it's the place that I live, and the place where my children are growing up. Also the place where Speak was born and where Speak is headquartered currently. So we wanted to dedicate this episode themed home to our hometown, Farmingdale, New York today, and share stories that remind people of home. So let's get this episode started. Our first talk today comes from our Speak Heritage event produced by Dana Lopez. This talk was so powerful and published speaker Sharon Feckety really brought it in this room in Governors in Levittown, New York. Why we're featuring this today in our home episode is because although this event was themed heritage, Sharon was originally from Long Island, New York and came back for the first time in so many years to tell this important story. Her talk, which is titled, Where I'm From, We Don't Talk About Mental Health, focused on not only her Irish heritage, but her roots here on Long Island, New York. And that's why it was just the perfect talk to kick off our second part of the theme, Home, on the Speak podcast. So without any further ado, here's Sharon Feckety with Where I'm From, We Don't Talk About Mental Health. I'm from a residential area. That's what I told the counselor at the halfway house when I was 19 years old. She said, Sharon, you're going to be back if you leave against medical advice. 
I'm from a residential area. I grew up in Long Island, New York. My parents came here from Dublin, Ireland. My mom, 12 brothers. My mom had 12 brothers. <laughs> Dad has eight in his family. We're Irish. I grew up in a beautiful home. I went to a private Catholic school. I was athletic. I was pretty good at school, let's not exaggerate. I remember the day that my mother said, if you didn't listen to your friends telling you that you had shoulders that were too big, you would have been an Olympic swimmer. There was no way I was going to be an Olympic swimmer, everybody. But I came from this beautiful Irish Catholic family, you know? We were good people. My parents brought us to the Commuters Club in East Rockaway, New York. That's where we saw Santa Claus at the commuters club. So while my family was doing some sing songs inside of the commuters club, I was in the parking lot sipping Budweiser nips with my friends. Oh, Danny boy, the pipes, the pipes are calling. Yeah. I was sipping nips while that was happening, everybody. So, what started out as a, a very innocent little drinky drink in the parking lot progressed. Those innocent nips in the parking lot became drugs too. It wasn't always that innocent. So, you know, uh, one day I uh, realized that maybe I, maybe I do have a problem. Maybe that woman at that halfway house Maybe she was on to something. You know, I was, I was this athletic, chubby, funny, I could sing kind of girl. But I just didn't feel good inside about myself. I always thought I was chubby. I had acne. I was a teenager, you see. So just because I had like gone to two rehabs and a halfway house, that doesn't mean that I'm an alcoholic, everybody. I'm Irish. <laughs> we drink. That's what we do. And then one day, I woke up in Detroit, Michigan. To this day, I have no idea why I couldn't have woken up in the Bahamas or Bermuda but there I was, freezing, in Detroit, Michigan. I woke up next to a guy named Spokane. That was his nickname, or his alias, not sure. I left him for another man, Bear, full name Sugar Bear. I was in love. 
He had just gotten out of Jackson State Penitentiary after doing 11 years for kingpin drug dealing. Now, mind you, I didn't know what that meant, but I was oddly attracted. So there I was in Detroit, Michigan, and nobody knew where I was from. Nobody knew that I was from this Irish Catholic family in Long Island, New York. And something about that felt great. Nobody knew I had been to two rehabs and a halfway house. Nobody knew that I had been arrested and was mandated to go to a halfway house when I was 19 years old. So I stayed in Detroit, Michigan, homeless, addicted, beaten, until that one day where Bear had rearranged my face so bad and I walked into that bar where, of course, I was the bartender, and the sign read, Brent's, where the friendly people meet. They were friendly, all right, but they all had aliases, too. And he had beaten me so bad that I didn't recognize my own face in the mirror. And it was at that moment that I knew it was time for me to go back to that place where I came from, that loving Irish sing-song and family in Long Island, New York. So when you sit on a Greyhound bus from Detroit, Michigan, to Long Island, New York, it gives you a little time to think about things. And here I was, 21 years old, finally legal to drink, and y'all want me to get sober. Great. But you see, alcohol and drugs were my medicine. Every time I stopped drinking, I wanted to die. I tried to leave this earth more times than I care to admit. I wanted to leave this earth because I didn't have my medicine anymore. I felt terrible about who I was inside. My dad was working for New York Hospital and he had this wonderful employee assistance program fellow, his counselor that helped him while I was in Detroit, Michigan. And my dad said, I think you should go see Ben, Sharon. You'd like Ben. Dad and I are a lot alike. So I traveled from Long Island all the way into the city, as we call it here. And I saw Ben every Tuesday, but Ben asked me, the most important question I've ever been asked in my entire life. Are you having suicidal thoughts? Yes, Ben, I am. I'm sober. <laughs> Obvi. I'm thinking about dying every day. I don't have my medicine anymore, Ben. What am I going to do? So he suggested that I go back to the real place where the friendly people meet. 12-step recovery, where people in that room never judge me for where I came from. All they wanted me to do was keep coming back. It's what they said every day. Keep coming back. It works if you work it. <laughs> so work it, you're worth it. And I worked it. And I've been working it now for 28 years. Woo! 
Who knew that people would clap for you for getting sober? <laughs> but I'll take it. So along with this wonderful newfound freedom and newfound happiness, I started my career in the medical industry. And I was quickly advanced to director of operations for a large medical company in New York. One of the most toxic places I've ever worked in in my life. <laughs> Welcome to toxic workplace number one, Sharon. You see, when you have been traumatized, you do real well with the drama. So you put me in control of some serious drama, and I excel. I can manage all of that. So after this company went bankrupt, and I found out that my boyfriend had a girlfriend, <laughs> I decided it was time for me to get out of New York. And I went to the Sunshine State, Florida. And for the first two years of living in Florida, I could not understand how a woman who's 10 years sober could still be attracting such unhealthy men in my life. It turns out I was the problem, everybody. I'm the problem. So I spent a lot of time getting to know me. And then I met Mr. Rogers, not his alias, my husband, Rob Beckety. I started my second toxic job managing yet another medical practice. This one was filled with affairs and a pipe bomb. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no worries. I had not healed my trauma yet, so I was very good in this drama as well. Very good at managing all of this drama. I spent eight years there, and then I finally decided it was time to go. Time to go out on my own. So I opened my own business 10 years ago, and I consult for doctors from Long Island to Florida to Chicago. And I realized that almost every workplace I went to was toxic. I was restructuring these places. I was asking these employees these questions that were very simple. And I couldn't understand why there was so much turnover. <laughs> Turns out a lot of people don't know how to communicate in life and in business. So in 2019, I started hearing a little whisper. You should probably tell everybody where you came from. Because now here I was, I'm sober all these years, I'm married, I'm responsible, I haven't blacked out in a long time. And I decided to write a book. I wrote a memoir about my life and how it was in business in 2019. And then this thing called the panorama happened. <laughs> and I spent those next few years healing that trauma that I had never faced in all those years of being sober. So I started speaking, and I started working at all of these different conferences, and every time I would get off the stage, I would hear the same thing. Where I'm from, nobody talks about mental health. Where I'm from, Sharon, 
Nobody talks about suicide. Nobody talks about alcoholism. Nobody talks about anxiety. Where I'm from and where you're from is uniquely the same. The faster we break the deafening silence, the quicker we will normalize this conversation about mental health. Thank you. What an incredible talk that was. I want to give a shout out to our channel partner, Frank King, for nominating Sharon to speak at the Speak Heritage event. She was absolutely incredible and such a joy to work with. And I know that this talk will help so many people. I'm also so happy that Sharon felt the catharsis of coming home to tell this story in this very full circle talk. Thank you, Sharon, for all that you brought. Our next talk comes from our Speak Homecoming event. So right now I will introduce our producer from Speak Homecoming, Cheryl West Long. Hello, I'm Cheryl West Long, producer of Speak Homecoming. Our next published speaker is Katie Valenzuela. Katie is one of several speakers at this event that had never stepped on a stage like this or written a talk. What Katie doesn't know is that she had been on my short list for some time of speakers I wanted to get on a stage because I knew she had the makings of a great speaker and she did not disappoint. While there were things experienced speakers knew about or knew how to do that she didn't, there are also some things that some professional speakers never master that Katie showed up with in her first draft. Katie is a bright light, an absolute star, but I'll let you hear for yourself. From Speak Homecoming, recorded at the K Plaza Arts Center in Carrollton, Texas on March 30th, 2023, here's Katie Valenzuela with When the Fairy Tale Ends. Have you been on a dating app recently? Well, I can't say I recommend it. You know, I opened an app the other day and a guy had chosen the prompt, change my mind about women. Change my mind about women is what he decided to write. Yeah, glad to hear that misogyny is alive and well. Or another guy had wrote, dating me is like, pouring tequila in your eyes. Well, <laughs> glad we can avoid that train wreck. So hearing those prompts, you may not be surprised to hear that I am still single. But fret not, I am a romantic. I love a good rom-com. So much so that I thought life was supposed to go a certain way. There were moments that were supposed to be moments. There were moments that were supposed to be magic. But the more life that I lived, there was no magic to be found. It was confounding and confusing. Part of me thought, I am incredible. I have this light. Who wouldn't want this? Who wouldn't want to be with me? And one day, my one true love would come and sweep me off my feet. But then another part of me said, oh, no, you are too emotional, too broken, too much, and no one will ever really love you. Not only that, but my body was a place that maybe I was okay with visiting, but not a place I wanted to stay. 
Not only that, it was too big in some places and too small in others. Imagine having the dichotomy of I am incredible and I have this light with my body is a mistake and I don't want to exist another second in it. Where's the fairy tale in that story? I had my first major crush when I was 15. He was really cute and we were involved in the same things, had the same friend group, and I thought, oh my gosh, this is it. We were friends, right? And that's how it happens in the books, in the movies, and the TV shows. The guy wakes up one day and realizes that the love of his life has been there all along. And he was that guy, and I was that girl. He just had to wake up and see it. And so I mustered all the courage that I had, and I told him that maybe I had a crush on him. He said he saw me as more of a friend. I held out my light and said, look, it could all be yours. It's all right, high school. It's not like he was going to end up dating one of my friends. That did happen. No matter, college. College is where things get serious. Flash forward to my sophomore year, and I meet this guy who just everyone loves. He oozed charisma. You know that acronym, woo, winning others over? That was him to a T. And we spent every moment together. And not only that, but this time, the pieces fell into place. He would always buy my dinners. He would send me random presents. We spent every moment together. We had this emotional connection. And I thought, oh my gosh, this, this is it. And so again, I mustered up all of my courage. And I said, hey, I think you like me, I like you, let's date. I held out my beautiful light again. And he said that he liked the way it looked and he liked the way it sounded, but no. No, he couldn't see it working out romantically. And then ended up dating one of my friends. I won't lie to you, I fell apart. What was wrong with me? I felt like I was in this endless cycle over and over again, and I am not the pretty girl's best friend. I'm the main character. But then another part of me said, you absolutely deserve this. It wasn't until two years after college that I remembered something. I was a child, and hands grabbed me. Hands that were supposed to be safe, broke me, hands that were supposed to be safe tore me apart. And then all the voices made sense, the ones that said that I deserved this, that I deserved heartbreak, that I'd never find love. So what do you do when the body that you've been given was taken away from you? What do you do when the body that you have has never felt like home? You rebuild. You rebuild and cherish all of the goodness that you have. And slowly but surely, as I started to do that, my light came back and it was brighter than ever. My body that had carried more than she had ever needed to was sacred and beautiful and holy. And then when I was 26, I met a boy on a dating app. And he absolutely changed my life. 
This time, I held out my light again, and he said it was the most beautiful thing he'd ever seen. And not only that, but that that light made him better. And then he shared some of his light with me, and it made me better. It was like this mirror being held up in front of myself, finally acknowledging all of the goodness that I had neglected to see for the past 26 years. And I thought, oh my gosh, fairy tales do exist. How else do you explain this dream come true? And then after a year and a half, the boy woke up. You see, he had loved every second of the dream that he'd been living. But he woke up realizing it wasn't his dream he had been living, it was mine. And so he packed up all of his goodness and his light and he left. But my light, I thought. I thought this time it would be enough. I thought this time I would be enough and it turned out that I was right. You see, because when I rebuilt, I disentangled all of the shame and the guilt that had been planted there. Guilt says I did something bad. Shame says I am bad and neither was true. I am bold and beautiful and brilliant. And just because someone doesn't have the capacity to love me does not mean that I am unlovable. And just because I was brokenhearted did not mean I was broken. And now and forever, I have a place to come home to. Me, myself. And it is a holy, beautiful place. It's a homecoming for the ages. Thank you, Katie, for such an incredible Speak Talk. I was lucky enough to be in the audience for Speak Homecoming in Carrollton, Texas, and Katie kicked off that event with such emotion and such power, and it really set the tone for the Homecoming event, which was so successful and so powerful. So thank you, Katie, for all that you bring to the table. Our final talk for this episode comes from our Speak Love event right here in Farmingdale, New York. I would be remiss if I did not include a talk that actually took place right here in our hometown as we close out this episode. Dr. Asharani was so fun to work with and this story was super, super powerful. As we dove in during the collaboration phase of this talk, Asha discovered so many parts of the story that would be so engaging and so moving to the audience. And I was so happy with the way this talk had turned out on the stage. Big thanks to our channel partner, Trisha Brooke, for nominating Asha for this talk, which really moved our audience. Without further ado, here's Dr. Asha Rani from Speak Love in Farmingdale, New York with The Love Bomb. I was the wife that supported my partner in his dreams. I was the mother that attended all the school events while also being part-time Uber driver for the kids' after-school schedule. I was the daughter that called my parents often to check on their health and help with life logistics. I was the dentist that would leave work early to rush home to be with the kids and handle the household duties. But why was all of that my job? Why was it normal for my husband to put his career as number one on his checklist while I placed mine as second to his and supported his ambitions? So that he could live out his dreams, 
I dimmed mine, because it's what I saw every woman around me do. I was living a life where I always put the children and my husband first and placed my dreams and wants as a last priority. There was no paycheck for the most important job of raising a family. I sacrificed myself for the sake of everyone because I love them. I couldn't complain about my life. I had three healthy children and a husband who was trying his best to provide for the family. So I simply waited for the one day that it would be my turn. Maybe after the kids go to college, maybe after I retire, maybe after, maybe after, maybe after. These were the words written four years ago in a journal by a woman who placed herself on the very bottom of the checklist of life and was angry about it. I could feel her frustration and resentment. I could feel her pain and sadness. That woman was me. I blamed people and situations for my life experiences, but never took a second look at how I had created it. How could I expect the love I was looking for if I didn't know how to truly love myself? And this is where I had to pause and slow down and reflect on how I got here. There's a checklist of what's considered a successful life. And by the age of 40, I had put a check mark next to every one of them. I had a professional career as a periodontist, married my college sweetheart, a neurologist, had three healthy children, two girls and a boy, a beautiful home with the white picket fence, financial security, and the many luxuries of life. I had accomplished everything I thought I wanted and was living a blessed life, but I was ashamed to admit that I wasn't happy, that I felt so unfulfilled. And in that shame, I struggled in silence. I put a smile on my face while playing the role of Wonder Woman, but on the inside, I was hiding a dark truth. I wanted out. I wanted to shed every female role and the life that I was supposed to live. I had so many questions in my head about my life, love, and marriage, but I couldn't silence the noise to hear the answers. Who am I when I'm not being someone's mother, wife, or daughter? How do I tell my husband that I love him like a friend? but I have no romantic feelings for him? Do I stay in the relationship because it's been 25 years? Because we have three children? Because it's the norm? Because everyone loves us together? Because there's financial security? Because of the fear of being alone, the fear of judgment, and the fear of not knowing what the future holds? Can I say that I'm grateful for the journey, but we have outgrown each other and it's time to move on? But how do I tell my three children that the only life they have ever known was never going to be the same? I was paralyzed in the fear of making a decision that would not only affect me, but everyone that I loved so much. How many times have you been on an adventure trip and watched the daring ones jump off the edge of a cliff and into a huge body of water? You witness their fear turn into smiles and then wonder, can I do that too? 
I stood at the edge of that cliff for many years, unable to make a decision and jump. I retreated back from the edge many times because even though I knew my marriage had come to a close, there was so much guilt in making myself a priority and choosing my happiness. What was everyone going to think? I knew that what felt good to me was not going to feel good to everyone else. So for the fear of hurting my family, that prevented me from taking that deep dive. But then there's that moment when you're on a plane and the flight attendants go over the safety instructions and they instruct you to put the oxygen mask on yourself first before you put it on anyone else. And that's what I finally did for the first time in my life. I shed that heavy suit of armor, let go of the role of Wonder Woman, and I asked for help. I unknowingly carried so many unhealed wounds from childhood into my marriage. To heal the adult woman, I had to go back in time to heal the little girl first. The one who thought she was unlovable. The one who endured childhood trauma. The one who thought she was less than because she was raised in lower income housing, AKA the projects. The one who held on to grief following the death of her little brother. The one who feared speaking her truth because she stuttered. And the one who thought that her worth was based on playing a role because just being herself was never going to be good enough. I reached out to amazing spiritual teachers to help guide me through these dark spaces. That healing journey was not pretty. It took time, deep inner work, and a transformation of the mind, body, and soul. It took breaking societal norms and a million deaths to rebirth that woman that could finally make that long-awaited decision. I decided that the love that I had for myself was greater than the fear of judgment and guilt. I decided to choose gratitude and thank my partner for the life that we had. And then I powerfully stepped forward with much peace in my heart and finally made that long-awaited jump. It felt so freeing. I spread my wings, I felt so light, and I knew that I was now living my authentic life. But then came that moment when I hit that deep, dark body of water. It felt like a bomb had gone off, but I was the one who triggered it. The shrapnel was painful. I was disoriented. I didn't know which way was up or down. The effects of that explosion reached far beyond anything I ever could have imagined. My family, friends, relatives, they all felt the injuries. The tears, the hurt, the recovery process was excruciating. The pain they felt in not being included in my decision. The hurt that they felt because I never shared my struggles. And the concern they had about what was going to happen to the children was unbearable. But then the energy that it took for me to explain my feelings, defend my decision, and face the judgment of others was soul crushing. Yes, I was the one that threw the bomb, but now I was the one that also needed saving. 
I didn't know how to explain to everyone that even though I was the one that made the decision, I was also in pain too. I was sad that the family life that I had dreamed of for so long was going to be no more. I was heartbroken that my loved ones were hurting because of my decision. I was scared that I didn't know what the future was going to look like. But what I did know was that even though it was the most difficult decision of my life, it was one that had to be made because living a lie was no longer an option. It took time for everyone to process what was happening and to decide whether they were ready to accept it. And in that, I spent a lot of time in solitude, saving as much energy for myself and my children to heal. The only thing that mattered was creating a new foundation for a new family dynamic. And in that fire that that bomb had created, here are the words of a 15-year-old daughter to her parents. Dear mom and dad, today is a day to celebrate the both of you and how much love you spread throughout this family. If I look back at all the years you've raised me, I wouldn't trade any of those moments for the world. Mom, you never fail to make me happy, and I always know I can count on you. You are so brave, powerful, independent, and an inspirational woman that I aspire to be. You are an outstanding mother, and the bond that we have created this year is unbreakable. Dad, thank you for always being there for whatever I need, for being my handyman, of course, but for also being my best friend. I am grateful to have you as a guide in my life. Despite the changes that will be occurring soon, I need you both to know how blessed I am to have the two most loving parents in the world. I'm so proud to call you my parents, but I'm even more proud to know how courageous you both are to make such a big change in our lives. Yes, it's upsetting that the two people who have been by my side since day one aren't gonna be there every second, but I am certain it will create an environment where you both will meet people who will love you as much as I do. This is only step one. There's an entire staircase in life to go. So many more adventures and journeys await the both of you. And I'm so thankful to grow up besides the two people I love the most. Even though many things are changing, you both will always be my personal chauffeurs. Love you to the moon and back. I don't have all the answers, but I do know this. It takes a deep commitment for two people to heal, to peacefully co-parent, and to honor each other with respect. It's not selfish to live the life you want. You are more than the roles you play, and love is the greatest gift of this lifetime. Thank you. That was Dr. Asha Rani with The Love Bomb. Thank you, Asha, for bringing the honesty and that incredible moment of impact as you read the letter that your daughter wrote to you and your ex-husband. 
That was so powerful and it just proves that the power of storytelling is so important. I know that you have helped so many people with that talk and I urge you to continue to take stages and share your story. That does it for this episode, but before we go today, I want to make sure that I send love once again to my hometown of Farmingdale, New York. Speak and the Speak podcast stands shoulder to shoulder with all the Dalers out there who are enduring, mourning, and trying to get past this horrific tragedy. We stand with you, Daler proud and Daler strong, and we will continue to. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We'll see you next time. Speak Podcast is brought to you by Launchpad 516 Studios, executive produced by Fred P. Banning, Jason Martin, and George Andriopoulos. Our theme song, Champions Day, is by Lupus Nocti. Incidental music, Melting Places, is by Andreas Kantu. Music and sound effects licensed through Epidemic Sound. The Speak Podcast is hosted with Podbean. Make sure to subscribe to this feed wherever podcasts are available and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts while you're at it. Follow Speak at Speak underscore event on Twitter and at Speak event on all other social media platforms. Visit our website, speakevent.com, for upcoming events, channel partner, sponsorship, and Speak at Work opportunities. And follow all the great podcasts produced by Lunchpad 516 Studios.